When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Beautiful paper things are very much Papier's thing. They're the go-to websites for stationery, invitations, cards and photo books, all ready to be personalised by you and expertly printed by them in England on a lovely high-quality paper. Papier's unique collection of designs is created in collaboration with talented artists like Luke Edward Hall and Fee Greening, as well as fashion designers such as Mother of Pearl and House of Holland, and iconic brands such as Disney and Moomin. There's something for everyone. Planning a summery party? Moving home? Expecting a new arrival? Papier has beautiful designs for every occasion, but what's most exciting is that they've recently launched envelope addressing, which is a lifesaver. Just upload your friends' and family's addresses, and they'll print them onto the envelopes. So head to papier.com to see their full collection, and listeners can use the code THEPARENTHOOD to get 15% off their first order. Thank you to Papier. Hello, everyone. Before we start this episode of The Parenthood, I just want to apologise in advance that the sound quality isn't quite as good as we usually have. We had a slight technical hitch, but the episode itself is amazing. It's so illuminating. It's so interesting. And you can hear what everyone's saying. But I just wanted to apologise that our usual sound levels aren't quite as good as they normally are. But enjoy the episodes. It's one I'm really, really proud of. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. As I'm teaching the bump class, preparing new mothers for the birth of their babies, I often think life would be a whole lot easier for all of us if our babies came out being able to communicate. I think back to those hazy days when my children were first born and the amount of time I spent looking at them while they were crying, thinking, what is it that it is wrong? Are you too hot or too cold or too hungry or too full? If only you could tell me. Well, it turns out that while babies don't start talking until they're at least one, if not two, they can communicate. So with me today, I've got two, well, actually three guests. Catherine Hollins is a child, parent and family psychiatrist and psychotherapist who's also trustee of the Brazelton Centre, a charity supporting parent-baby relationships in the newborn period by helping both parents and practitioners understand how newborn babies communicate. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here and talk about such an important subject and one very close to my heart. Oh, well, it's lovely to have you. And we've also, for the first time on the Parenthood podcast, got uh, a mum and her baby. Uh, Amelia is mother to eight-week-old Hope, who is sitting here very patiently awake. You might hear the odd little bit of snuffling, but thank you so much for coming along and bringing Hope out. Well, I mean, first, you know, eight weeks on a podcast, maybe she's going to have a career in broadcasting. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, Catherine, I'd, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about the Brazelton Centre and the idea behind sort of communi- the, the idea that babies can communicate with us. Because I think to many people that will be a totally alien concept. We sort of think they're sort of blobs that are born and that they slowly develop. But actually, they're quite able to communicate, aren't they? Yes, they're communicating right from the beginning. And in fact, even in pregnancy, you will hear or feel, perhaps is better way of saying it, a kick or a movement which shows something of how your baby might be feeling or experiencing life in the environment inside the womb. So right from the beginning. And then when a baby is born, actually even at that moment, they are beginning to communicate and show us what it's like to be out in the world. And um, from the very first moment, they are interested in looking for you and your face 
Um, that's what babies prefer, even from that first minute of life. And often babies come out, if the birth hasn't been too tricky and there hasn't been a lot of medication, they come out ready and alert and quiet to engage with you and look into your eyes and communicate. I don't know if that happened for you, Amelia, but... Yes, absolutely. It did. Hope, Hope's been very vocal and communicative from day one. Mm. And she's now, I'm demonstrating to her. Um, but no, she's always sort of been engaged and always looking for points of communication and contact yeah so even in those first moments when babies come into the world they look for your face and within a day they recognize and prefer mum's face because they know you and from the very beginning they know your voice because of course they knew your voice in the womb within days they know your smell because that's you they choose your face over another person's so they're very quick to show that they they are picking things up. They're already doing things from the very beginning, which show us who they are. Because actually I saw earlier you were engaging with Hope and she was totally engaged with, you know, your face. And then as soon as Amelia came in, she immediately looked and it was like, yes. like I don't know, Justin Bieber had just walked into a sort of teenager's <laughs> bedroom. You know, she was just suddenly, it was all about mummy. And that's yes. interesting that so quickly they yes. are aware of who their parent is. Yes. And what was lovely, wasn't it, was... Hope and I were having a conversation and she just had a feed and she'd been burped, she'd changed her nappy, rather mum had changed her nappy um, and um, she was ready to have a little chat with me and what you will notice is that babies are, at this age can see mum's face or the person they're with from about 25 centimetres which is the, 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 exactly the distance that you tend to be feeding your baby yeah. so that's very helpful um, and that's what our babies can see the best and so she was cooing away with me wasn't she we were having a first conversation and, um, and I can totally see that you know, to the uninitiated it sort of looks like cooing but of course when you think about it it is communication mm. and you were responding to her you were sort of helping you were listening to her you weren't sort of talking over her it was I mean you weren't having a conversation in the traditional sense she wasn't articulating using words mm. and yet there was definitely an interaction going on yes yes and she was thrilled wasn't she oh, she, she really so enjoyed she enjoyed watching and listening to me and looking and the one of the biggest things I wanted to say in this conversation was one of the things that we can really offer our babies is to watch simply watch and give them time to show us who they are. If we watch, we can really learn a lot about what our babies like and how they communicate, what they need. So what we find is that each baby is very different, but each baby will have a way of showing through a pattern that has a meaning over time, how, how and when they're hungry, when they're tired, when they're uncomfortable, when they need a cuddle. Um, each baby does it in quite unique ways. But if we watch and give them space, we, we can find out. Now, some babies are much easier to read than others. So if your baby is difficult to read, please don't feel this is in any way me saying that it should be easy or it is. Babies are all so different. Some, some, some are so subtle in the way they communicate. It's quite hard, but others, others help us a lot more. I don't know how it was for you learning with hope did did she show you yeah she she definitely showed us um i think every day we're kind of understanding more what each noise means a, a little bit comes a little bit clearer mm. but i can definitely remember it within the first week um one night where she was just crying and crying and, and my husband and i just looked at each other and we had absolutely no idea what it meant mm. because she'd been fed and she'd been changed and, mm. and we knew we were cuddling her and it was it was so frustrating for us because we wanted to give her whatever she wanted yes but it was completely impossible and now I understand what that cry means mm. At, you know six weeks later I'm like okay this means this we uh -huh. can do this and how but, did it make you feel in that moment oh gosh you know I felt like the worst mother in the world yes um, yes it's devastating but, isn't it yes, and it makes absolutely. you feel really incompetent it, it does and also mm. you, you add that in with being so tired and it's yes. all being so new yes and and you have all this all this love for this new yes. baby and you just want to get it right and sometimes well mm. most of the time you, you can't but yeah and I guess that, that feeling of um, being the worst mother in the world that, and that aspect of picking up what our baby is trying to tell us, something so important to remember is that when babies are born, they don't know what to make of all their feelings and emotions, both psychologically and physically. They've got all those feelings in there, certainly all the basic ones, but they, they've got no idea what it means. And so even the feeling of having a full tummy and being uncomfortable or being hungry and so it feels to babies, I suspect, as if they're about to die. You know, it's a life or death moment. And so their job is to project all that into you as mum or dad. 
And um, that's why it is so exhausting and emotionally like a roller coaster for us, because we're having to digest their experience and give it back in a way that's a bit more manageable. And the process of, again and again, doing these ordinary things of working out what's going on means that by the time a baby is coming to the end of the newborn period, which is what we're really thinking about today, by the, the end of three months, they've got a sense of, oh, right, when mum picks me up like this and holds me in her arms and does that, that means probably it's time for a feed. And they can just about tolerate a bit more delay and a bit more waiting because the patterns are getting a bit more recognised. You're in a relationship. They know where they are. Their confidence is building, I guess. Because I think it's so interesting, the idea that, you know, babies sometimes sound like they're dying when they're screaming and you sort of pick them up going, don't overreact, you're just hungry. But that point is they don't know they're going to be fed and they've never experienced this sort of sensation of hunger and their body is saying, I need to eat. And yet they don't have the confidence in the world to know that they will get fed. And so that is the reason that they are screaming as if they're going to die because actually if a baby isn't fed, it will die. Yes. And so understanding that rather than resenting it, thinking, God, don't overreact, you crazy baby. Yes. But putting yourself in their shoes and Absolutely. saying, they don't actually know that they're going to be fed. So actually I get why they're crying this much yes. and then that sort of understanding that the more times you pick them up and you respond to them the more quickly yes. they will have that confidence that their needs will be met really being in your baby's place imagining what it feels like I think really helps us to develop our empathy doesn't it for what it might be like to be him or her really saying to yourself I wonder what he or she is feeling with what we're doing right now um, and imagining your day's rhythm and thinking, gosh, what, what is that like? Does that feel okay or not for this baby, this age, you know, in this environment, in this family? Uh, and well, it can help us to really be, be thoughtful and kind and respectful to that baby. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned before is, is how babies have very different personalities. And that is already evident from the moment they're born and um, this is presumably one of the things they'll be telling us instead of understanding and listening and giving them the time to tell us yes well because you know, there are some babies that are just a bit more sensitive to yes. light or to noise or yes. to you know hunger exactly and finding out what your baby's like means that you can support them in the way they need and that doesn't mean they're going to be like that forever but it might be that they're developmentally still quite unsettled or, um, as we might say, a bit disorganised in the way they put themselves together and they really need us to give them some scaffolding, you know, really help them with it. Um, so, for example, some babies can manage to fall asleep in a noisy room with the rest of the family. Some babies will startle and find that really hard and not manage it. They need to be in a quieter place. And to accept how your baby is is, is a kindness to them because that's how they are. That's what they need right now. Um, with hunger, the way they might show their feeding cues, seeing if we can pick that up before they start getting upset. Um, babies do that so differently. Something else that's interesting, we were just talking um, earlier about hope and the fact that nappy time is fine now, aged eight weeks, but bath time is still a time that she really finds tricky. It's an Oscar award-winning performance on a, on a nightly basis, it really is. And this is true that, you know, babies, some babies actually, and you may find this with your baby, that um, when you take off their clothes for nappy time, they like the freedom and they like to kick and they like being free of clothes. Other babies hate it. And you might find that to begin with, they need a sheet covering them. And you might even not bathe them to begin with because it's just too much for them. And you might just cover half of their body and bathe one half and then cover that, but they need something on them. So to really be sensitive to what your baby can manage. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, it's so helpful. I think that is probably one of the places where we kind of go wrong the most. I see often, you know, I hear parents saying, God, you know, my son is so different to my daughter. As if that's surprising. I mean, you wouldn't sort of say to your sort of fully grown children, it's so amazing how different they are and be surprised. I mean, that is, mm. you know, what humans are delightfully and curiously different. I mean, that's what makes humans yeah. so fascinating. And to sort of give our children that permission to be very different, even when they're babies. Yes, yes. Two other examples of that are that babies like to be held in different ways. And some babies will soften and mold into you and some babies pull away and resist now that's not because you're a bad mother or a bad father it's that there's something different in how they like to be held and you might find that you'll discover the way they like to communicate with you by giving them a bit more space or holding them differently babies often need good head support in these first few weeks and that will make them more available to communicate and look at you but that aspect of how they like to be held may be very particular to them that's very, very interesting. You think holding a baby is holding a baby. I mean, did any of this sort of occur to you? I mean, there is a sort of... Yeah. I mean, a lot of this, I, I've learnt, I'm a child psychiatrist and I work with families from pregnancy through into the early years. But the more I work with families and learn from them, um, I've realised that early relationship development... Uh, there's so much we can learn still and so much we can do from these early days. And I've learned a lot from the Brazildon Centre from whom I'm, you know, with whom I'm now trustee. And what they particularly do is train professionals around the country. Thousands of people have been trained now, particularly in two early tools. One is an assessment tool and one is more of a relationship building tool, which I've trained in. And it's, it's a very joyous thing. It's quite a short way of interacting between a parent and a baby to find out a bit help a parent find out what their baby's like, how they react to different things. And um, I really like it, actually. And it's, there's, it's, worth, it's worth looking at the website for the Brazildon Centre, which we'll give the details of later, I'm sure, just to get other ideas about what might help you in communicating with your baby. And sort of looking, I mean, we've obviously got the sort of uh, mother and baby here. Um, it, what, what, what advice would you give in terms of, I mean, obviously the, the look, watch, listen, wait, that sort of patience is, is so important. Yes, I mean, that, that is the first most important thing. And in fact, uh, it's, been, it's been named um, a tool, watch, wait and wonder. And it's a tool I often talk about with families, with children of all ages, but you can start with a very young baby. And what it's about is giving yourself space regularly. It might be at a particular time when the baby's alert and you might be ready with a baby, perhaps having her nappy changed or at a stage where they're calm and ready to communicate. And just allow yourself a few minutes where you simply are going to watch, wait and wonder and reflect out loud even or think in your mind, I wonder what she's thinking or feeling. Just like with Hope right now, we might look at her and think, there she is, um, sucking, her eyes are closed. What do you think is going on, Mum, if we look at Hope? Well, she just seems like she's totally calmed by hearing everyone's voices. Mm. She really likes to be around mm. people. And she's really happy sort, sort of along with her own thing, just being mm. being in the presence of others. Yeah. But I always, I do wonder, sort of like, what is she thinking? Yeah. What, how much does she understand what we're saying? Yeah. What bit will be formative? What bit, you know, is completely going to be yeah. thrown by the wayside? Um, no, I would, I would love to know what's going on in yeah. her mind. And I guess with the Watch, Wait, Wonder, it's, it's letting your baby take the lead instead of trying to give them something and remembering that babies in these first weeks, they don't need toys. They're interested in you, your face, your expressions. And we all quite naturally, if we allow our intuition to take over, speak with this baby's language, don't we, to babies? And we mimic and we make bigger expressions with our face and with our voice. It becomes musical. There are, there are some wonderful psychologists like Colin Trevathan and Lynn Murray, who this book I've, I've shared with you called The Social Baby, uh, about how babies communicate. And, and it's, it's, it's just wonderful if you give them space to do that. Watch, wait and wonder. And not always be right. 
you know there's that yes. there is that fear of sort of getting it wrong that we have as sort of and it's okay you know you might sort of look at your baby and go oh you're really happy and cooey and then suddenly you realize they've done a pig poo and you didn't pick it up and <laughs> on cue, on a big cue. Part from, from home. um but i think you know that the the sort of the idea that you're not always going to get it right are you mm. it's not as clear as them saying I, r- I cut my finger and that's where it hurts because it, it can't be until they've got that language. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, well, sorry. No, I was just going to say that, that something that I found very useful when I learned about the intervention tools from the Brazilian Centre was thinking about how we soothe our babies when they're restless and that we might be tempted to jump in straight away and pick up a baby who's getting a bit restless um, but that sometimes this watching might give a bit of space where you might first use your voice. Uh, well, actually, even a stage before that, use your face. Look, make eye contact, see if that soothes your baby. Then add in your voice with a calm tone. Then if the baby's still restless, you might put your hand on their tummy and just see if that uh, weight calms them. Then you might move her arms over if it was hope and just put her arms across her chest and then if that's not enough then you might pick up the baby and that might only take a few seconds all of that but it gives the baby a sense of being able to build their own resources of self-soothing what is it that they need from you to calm and you're giving the message that perhaps they have got some resources they can use finding out what they can do to begin to soothe and settle little by little yeah, this is great, great advice. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the benefits of communicating with your baby, which is a ridiculous question because I, I sort of, what I've learned from this podcast is that communication is the heart of every successful human relationship and whether that's one with a, a baby that is nonverbal. Um, but sort of scientifically, Catherine, are there any sort of studies that outline the, you know, the benefits of communicating mm. as early as possible or allowing your baby to communicate with you? Yes, I mean, I think this can give, um, or maybe it can build up our strength and our resourcefulness as parents to realise that what we're doing, when we're doing these mundane, relentless things of feeding, changing, listening, trying to work out what's going on for our baby, that what we're doing is literally building their brains, that the neurodevelopment that is happening is extraordinary. All of the neurons are firing. It's something extraordinary, like a million a second, which, I mean, we just can't get our minds around, can we? Is that, does that um, happen in grown-ups as well, or is it It's much? really at the beginning that, that it's going at that speed. Um, we still have some plasticity, but it reduces as we get older. Um, but the first year particularly, and the first three years especially as well. But that first few weeks and months, your baby is just learning every minute, and... You know, when it's intense and exhausting, remember that that experience of again and again having experiences of you trying to work out what's going on, not getting it right all the time. You don't need to do that. You know, it's good enough to be good enough. Um, And in fact, the baby learns when you don't get it quite right because you then learn how to repair things. You know, the baby learns that it's not been a disaster, that you can still find out what's going on. And that's a a lesson for life, isn't it? If you think Mm. about children when they're older. So you're building their brains and um, giving them a sense of security. If the baby gets enough of a sense of consistency from you, enough of a sensitive response from you, just enough, then you, you, you have a baby who realizes, all oh, right, maybe this world is somewhere I can trust. Maybe I know what happens in this relationship with my mum or with my dad or with my granny or grandpa, um, with my siblings. And then that gives them a bit of a blueprint for how they might expect other relationships to be and what they might give and take within other relationships as they grow. And I think what we also know is that relationships are the basis of a lot of our mental and physical health. So this is about building us as adults. It's not just about this moment now. Um, And that's quite exciting might sound a bit daunting as well. It might also make us think, oh, well, you know, my baby's already, you know, hope's eight weeks old, it's too late, I've just not done enough. But it's not like that at all. It really isn't like that. You know, there's pl- babies are, and children are very resilient and resourceful and they change and they respond and you can just shift something. So if you're a mum or dad listening and you're not at all at the stage that Amelia and Hope are at, 
please don't lose a sense that you, you, you won't be able to get there. You know, sometimes it just takes us different speeds to start bonding with our babies. It takes a different amounts of time to learn what our baby's like. Some babies are really difficult and restless and cry a lot and never sleep. And it means that it's really hard to get to know them. And we also can get pretty angry with them as well, if we're honest. Mm. Um, so please reach out and speak to someone. I, of course, would say that because I'm a psychiatrist and psychotherapist. But, and I see, I see women and men who are struggling. And it's quite common. Um, and if you feel you can't communicate, I guess that, that can, of course, make you feel like you're not very good at it. But just give it time. And obviously, you know, Hope is your first baby, Amelia. You've got, you know, when you're with her, you can give her your absolute attention. You know, by the time you're in your fourth child, that is a very, very, very different thing. And I think, you know, we might have people listening who struggle because their eight-year-old is much better at getting the mother's attention than the newborn baby because they don't demand it quite in the same way. And yet those children work out fine too they're often more resilient yes. than their sort of older sort of siblings aren't they yes and um, maybe better at getting themselves heard so mm. i suppose there's not a perfect way to do it mm. it's absolutely it's just things to take into account yes absolutely absolutely and and actually of course you know when you're on another child you you've you've seen some of the development and you've learned that Babies tend to kind of muddle through and get there, whatever you do, probably. And, um, and that actually, you know, that, 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 that you've got this baby now who's got through all this older child and you see things change. It also gives you the hope, I guess, as well, that um, they will sleep eventually. <laughs> um, um, why? I mean, we talked a little bit about why it's so important for babies to feel like they are understood. Um, is it, I mean, it makes parenting easier, doesn't it? Because it makes them feel more secure. Yes, it, and it means that um, if you're able to respond to where the, your baby is and they're more able to trust and know what's happening, they're less likely to get upset or cry. You know, there's research showing that. Um, so there's getting an idea of what your baby's needs are and trying to meet them really does make a difference. It's also more satisfying, of course. And if you feel like you are being able to connect with your baby and, and have some response, that changes everything, doesn't it? Um, Hope, now at eight weeks, is so responsive and chatty, actually. Um, uh, and she's only eight weeks. I mean, it's extraordinary, um, the change over time. Absolutely. And it's just it's, it's so comforting and calming as, as a parent when you feel like you've understood what they want or you've preempted something that they mm. want. I mean, obviously, you know, you need to feed your baby and change your baby and love your baby. But if you can get in there before the squawking starts, because you know that she's starting to look like a little uncomfortable or a little bit hungry. Yeah. And then and then and then she is calm and she responds to your voice or to your face or, or anything like that. It's yeah. just it, it makes it all worth it. It makes all the yes. definitely worth it. Yeah. When I was preparing for today, I talked to two of the other people involved with the Brazilian Centre, Susan Polby, who's a developmental psychologist, who's the chair of trustees and has extraordinary experience with NBAS and ENBO, these interventions and tools, and also with Betty Hutchin, who, who's an occupational therapist. So people come from lots of different professions who can use this in their everyday work. So any pr practitioners listening do consider training in it. So I asked them what they would particularly suggest I share because they, they're both much more expert in using those tools than I am. Um, Betty uses it with premature babies at the Royal Free and there's, there's, a, there's a real use with very young babies to think about how do we really listen and hear them communicating. In fact, there's an extraordinary YouTube clip of a father with a kangaroo holding his newborn premature baby and they're already having this conversation there are these little coos between them it's the most wonderful thing to watch and listen to he, because he's waiting and letting his daughter talk so so to go back to what i was trying to say so i asked them what would you share and one of the things was also something that i hadn't known about before even from my training before which was about the different states babies are in uh, and to really be aware of that so that you're most likely to be able to be in a situation when your baby can communicate. So when Hope and I had a conversation earlier, she was alert, quiet, alert, ready to chat, wasn't she? Um, and there are six states, 
that babies can be in. And they change very quickly in the first few days and weeks, and then they begin to get longer. So the six states are deep sleep, and that's when a baby's eyes are closed, very regular breathing. They might just startle occasionally with their muscles. The second stage is light sleep, and that's when eyes are still closed. Might be some gentle body movement or sucking. The third stage is drowsy, not quite asleep, not quite awake. Might open a bit, might move a bit. <laughs> um, hope is yawning for us right now. Um, the fourth state is alert and attentive. Now, this is really when babies, are, their eyes are open and bright, they're ready to chat. And it's the best time to, 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 to use, if you can, to allow them to speak with you, so to speak, and chat. Uh, they look calm and alert at that time. The fifth state is called the active alert and fussing stage. So babies might be moving a lot more, vocalising, might be a bit fussing. And then the sixth state is crying, and that might be because of a particular need they've got in that moment. So I think it can be useful, even though that sounds quite a lot, it can be quite useful to, to know where your baby's at, because you can think, ah, oh, that's where they're at. If I respond here, that will help. And in terms of listening to their communications, in that quiet alert state, they might only manage to communicate for a few seconds or a minute, and then they might show that they've had enough and turn their head away. That's one of the only things a baby can do to show they've had enough. Or they might arch their back, or they might start crying, or their eyes just might move. And that might be a message to you. They're a bit overwhelmed. They need to just organize themselves. They might look at a light just to hold onto it with their eyes, and then they might turn back. Um, so they'll show you when they've had enough. Have you seen that I with her? I definitely, definitely noticed that. Because mm. yeah. I always try and speak to her when I'm changing her nappy. So, you know, she is relatively awake and, and relatively happy and calm. And, and after a while, she's like, Mom, she's not interested. You know, turns her head, starts looking at something else. And, and so it starts. Your children are like, I don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. <laughs> How important is what you say? I mean, you know, you were talking about the, the father with his baby, the kangaroo care, and how he was sort of, you know, just cooing at it. Yes. I mean, does it, does it matter? I mean, obviously they're not understanding the language. They will slowly start to, to learn it. Yes. But does it matter what you say? I think to begin with, babies are really listening to our tone of voice and some babies need us to be slow and gentle, much more than others. Some babies can take more liveliness and it might also depend what state they're in as to what they can manage. In terms of the words, I think what I've learned through working with families and with children and from the research is that, of course, if you do explain to your baby what you're doing, and let them know, right, we're going to go and change your nappy. Okay, it's time for a feed. Okay, I'm going to pick you up now and let them know before you do it. It helps you also to be respectful and to really engage with your baby in a way that helps them hear through your voice that something's about to happen and begin to know what the words are. So I think it, to begin with, they may not know the words, but they do much more quickly than we think. And, and also it's the way in which you use the words with your actions. One of the things in my work with children of all ages, and with adults actually, is naming feelings. If we can start that with new babies, and it might not be something we as parents have done, even for ourselves, but it's a great time to start learning. Start naming feelings. Oh, you know, you look, you look a bit upset and a bit restless. Shall I pick you up? Or, oh, are you a bit hungry? Or are you a bit tired? Put into words what you think the feelings might be, and it'll help you as a parent, but it'll help your baby to begin to identify what's going on in them. I met, I met a family recently with a, a girl who's at second, early secondary school, and she's just managing to put feelings to anxiety feelings rather than have tummy aches. And when she can name it, she doesn't have tummy aches. So you can start this even with the way you talk with your baby at the beginning. And what about you know relationships with other people because I think you know very often you know mummy is like and and daddy the sort of rock stars in my world and you often get babies that are on a scale of clinginess I mean I have one my daughter just would not be held by anyone else it had to be me and um it it struck me how important is it to support this conversation this communication with other people not just the parents and obviously very often it is the mother who's the, often the primary caregiver, the one that's taking the time off work for maternity leave that is sort of building this relationship. How important is mm. it to, to encourage this communication with other people that might not even be regulars in their life? It yes. might be the grandmother that's coming to visit. Mm. 
I think this is so important and I'm really glad we can talk about it because it matters a lot. The way our baby sees us introduce them to a new person, to a new visitor. The way we're aware of, with a very new baby, for example, there are visitors who might want to hold the baby, but your baby might not want that. Um, they don't know them yet. You know them, but they don't. Um, really to think about whether you might actually not necessarily hand baby over, unless you really feel that baby's up for it. Um, you might hold baby and let the visitor chat and you hold. What, what would you think, Amelia? I think that's really interesting because I think that when you have a visitor and you have a newborn baby, you feel like they need to hold it. That's why they've come and you need to hand it over. And I did, I did worry, like, oh gosh, once she starts screaming or the person, you know, thinks it must be me. Um, but it's completely correct what you say, that maybe the baby just isn't up to it that day, or maybe they just want to be held by someone else or in a certain way. And mm. they're just overwhelmed with new smell, new person, yeah. which just might not yeah. work. Yeah. But it's kind of our um, grown-up pressure on ourselves of, oh gosh, yes. you know, the baby needs to behave and, and be adorable. Mustn't but offend the visitor. No, mustn't offend the so visitor. So cultural, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. With, the when the baby's, you know, just yeah. been sort of propelled into the world and feeling quite offended that they're not yeah. in the normal tummy anymore. Yes. And so that's at the very beginning with visitors. And then if you think about how you support your baby in making relationships with other people, whether that's uh, father, grandparents, siblings, friends, um, the great thing about a baby developing those other relationships is they get a sense of the fact that everyone works differently. They form different relationships. And so, of course, that's quite, quite interesting and can be a challenge and can be quite curious for a baby. You know, well, right, so he does it like that, you know, when he holds me um, and she does it like this. And, you know, you see quite quickly, don't you, a different relationship developing. And this is all about attachment as well, isn't it? And attachment theory tells us that something that's going on in those first weeks and months is that babies are beginning to form you know very clear preference for their primary caregivers and there might be one there might be two or three they might have a, a few there's normally an order of preference uh, that's how it works as to who you would go to as a baby or young child if you're upset uh, usually that's mum but it doesn't have to be it's about who has developed that quality of relationship to mean that baby trusts and wants you to, in order to calm down. Um, but it's really helpful. And, and the phrase, which I think I will probably say every time we discuss anything, Marina, is <laughs> it takes a village to raise a child. And children are made more resilient by having re trusting relationships with more people than one or two. That's a great thing to offer. And so when we think about babies, if they go to childcare early, uh, then forming a relationship with a child caregiver, uh, the way that we feel as parents towards that person and the way we support the baby to form that relationship really matters. That will enable the baby to trust and form a relationship of their own. Yeah, and, and because obviously there are babies that are just a little bit more resistant to that idea. Yes. And what do you do in that situation? Do you sort of, I mean, I, I don't want to use the word force, but mm. Mm. It, it is, I just think back to the years, the really was years with my daughter, who is now very outgoing and actually probably I'm bottom of her list. Well, at least she likes me to think so. <laughs> likes me to think so. But, um, you know, how far do you push it? I was mm. obviously really keen that she fostered these relationships mm. and yet it was prize you know I couldn't even go to the loo without her being in there with me yes yes I th I think you know in a sense there isn't a straightforward answer is there but but I I guess what I've learned from working with families and this comes up so often at every different age surely my child should be able to you know for example go to the loo on their own or not go to the loo with me or you know get off my lap and go and play but maybe they're just not ready you know that's that's often something to really reflect on you know watch wait and wonder that doesn't mean you don't allow the potential for them to be um to have the experience of their boundaries being pushed a bit uh, but do it in a kind way um not from frustration but from kindness and curiosity to find out what if they can manage this you know can we help them to do this if we did it this way you know be creative what other things could help this? Because often things get very complicated because you as a parent are now cross that they're not managing it. And then they get even more upset about the fact they're not managing what mummy wants them to manage. And then it's hard to unravel what the issue really is. 
That's interesting, giving them the opportunity to do that. So don't think, well, they don't like play dates, so we're not going to do play dates. Continue the play dates, but be forgiving that they might not love it the whole time, but at least you're giving them exactly, the and and maybe do it in a different way. Maybe you need to be there, or maybe you need to be there most of it, or maybe you do them in your house, or you know, it's 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 working out what you can manage as well. Mm. And, and and we're not we're not looking for perfection, and children are not needing perfection. They're needing us to share the struggles with them. So if we can be empathic, we can't always make it right. And we might say, I know that you find this really hard um, and I'm really sympathetic. I'm going to give you a big hug, mm. but let's do it anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I wish I'd brought my eight-week-old baby to chat to Catherine. I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I think parents will often struggle with is when their baby is just really upset or really restless or really cranky and it kind of goes on and on and on and, and it's all very easy to feel that you're being a good parent to a baby that finds you know that finds life easy and you know you talked about that that time in a baby's life when they're most responsive when they're in the what did you call it the, the number five where yes the kind she of was the, lying on the, the alert sofa. The exactly sort of, yeah, state yeah. four alert and attentive Yes. And and you know it was very easy to communicate. I mean, I, I, it was I great say that, for me, wasn't you know? it? I had a lovely chat. <laughs> it was did. really nice for me. And you could see that she was really receptive. Yes. What about if you have a baby that is just quite cranky and doesn't experience many, or dare I say it, any of mm. those experiences? Yes. How do yes. you sort of? Is there a way to calm them down to encourage them to be in that state of mind a bit more? I guess the first thing to say is that you need to really recruit your support network. You know, you need support to help you manage when you've got a baby who's like that, because it's really tough. And it doesn't mean it's going to be like this forever. Remember that. Um, but the more resources you can find, whatever that might be, and it might be a very small thing, but if you can find something that might support you in managing to, 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 to get through this stage and still, you know, hold on to your strength and your empathy for your baby, then that's important. That's the first thing. I guess then in terms of what you do, um, it's, it's, there is no magic bullet. It's about doing what we've talked about already, I guess. It's to keep on being interested and watching and trying to find out. And, and maybe sometimes your baby just, you know, can't settle. And maybe it's just accepting that, that you need to be with your baby through their upset. You know, don't, don't, don't leave them with their feelings. Be with them. And sometimes that's really unbearable as a parent, isn't it? Mm. Sometimes it's really painful and... Um, you might need someone to be alongside you whilst you are supporting your baby going through those feelings. Um, and the more you can bear to do that, the more you're giving the baby the sense, maybe I can manage my feelings, you know, when it feels awful. Mm -hmm. And again, I see that with children of all ages and adults of all ages. How can we bear to have the feelings we've got? And one of our jobs as parents with young babies is to accompany them with their feelings. So they might not manage to stop crying. They might carry on being restless. Of course, sometimes it's worth going to the GP or the health visitor and saying, what's going on? Is there something else going on? And they might be able to reassure you. So uh, don't do this all on your own. You know, yeah. Reach out and find out um, if there might be something else happening. But it's not because you're a bad parent. There are times, and, and I hands down experienced this, where you know I was hormonal, I was tired, I was lonely, I felt frustrated, and there were times when I just looked at my crying child and thought, I wish I wasn't a mother actually today. Mm. Um, there, there's, you know, people often say a baby won't hurt itself by crying. We know that obviously it's mm. really important that their needs are sort of met, and that when they do kind of ask for help, that they are reacted to. But is there a time when sometimes a mother just says, I need five minutes yes. and just to put the baby down in the cot yes. let them cry and yes. just take five minutes yourself Absolutely. with some breathing yeah. and, and obviously that's not ideal but it's about working out the best situation yes. in your situation yeah. and actually that sometimes is the best thing to do it's to to put the baby safely somewhere go out of the room close the door and go and have a few minutes for yourself um and in fact it's quite a good way of thinking about what you might do as your child gets older um, in our culture, we talk a lot about time out, don't we? Whereas um, circle of security, which is an approach to parenting that I often talk about with families, starts with time in. That actually children need time in. We might need time out as parents. So you might need to walk away and have time out so you can organise your feelings. And then when you're ready, go and have time in whilst your child manages their feelings. Don't leave them while they're in a state with their feelings. 
um, unless you need to do to go and sort yourself out a bit and feel a bit more calm so that you can help them. And Does that, that makes sense. just be just giving yeah. them a big hug while they cry it out and not talking to you. It might not be talking. It might just be being with them in the same room. It might even be with your, your baby that you're, you're just sitting in the room with them. And the most you can manage, because you're really upset, is sitting in a chair next to the cot and just saying something occasionally. <laughs> you might not have more energy than that because you're very upset. Um, it might be you need to go out for a while and come back in and let your baby know that you're still around. And... For me, I cried a lot when I was a new mother. I still occasionally cry a bit. And actually, my children are quite used to seeing me tearful. (laughs) But I definitely grew up in an environment where I never saw my parents cry. Mm. And I kind of thought they never did. And then when they did cry once, I was like, oh, my God, the world is ending. How is it damaging for children to see their parents in tears? Or is it actually quite a a good thing to, to see that vulnerability? I think what children want to know is that their mum or dad are there for them and that they're stronger than them and that they're bigger, stronger, wiser and kind. This is circle of security language. It's a lovely way of describing what children need from their parents. That basically you're bigger, stronger, wiser and kind. That doesn't mean though that we don't cry sometimes or that we get upset or we get cross. What children need to see is that we can then repair and recover that we might say sorry if we've been cross or that if we've been crying, we're able to say, I'm feeling a bit better now. I was really upset, Um, but I'm fine now. You know, to give a message that you've come out the other end and it's all right, the world's all right again, because that's what children get upset about. Are mum and dad gonna be all right? Are they gonna be there for me? Mm. You know, they're very egocentric children. That's how we are when we're developing. You know, it's, it's how they need to be and that's their worry. And presumably in that situation, it's, it, you've got to acknowledge it rather than yeah. break down in tears and then be fine, but not say, I was feeling a bit ropey, but now I'm feeling fine. Yes. There's, a, you know, there's, of course, a question about how much you share. You don't need to share the entire story necessarily about yeah. why you're crying. You, know, they are, you are the parent and they are the child. But actually, I think, um, again, when I talk to families, I'm very struck by the families where... Um, any show of emotions is seen as a weakness and is devastatingly dangerous. Dangerous, actually. So that parents can't say. But of course children know, because children look in their mum or dad's face and they know how they're feeling. Children are really intuitive. I'm sure you've seen that with Hope. Absolutely. Um, She just sometimes knows exactly... I feel that she knows exactly what I'm thinking and I I haven't said anything, but I guess she must just be reading all the cues that I must have. Yeah, so babies are so sensitive and so are children. And to be able to, what helps children is that they know what they're seeing is what they're seeing. That you just say what it is. Be truthful. It's like a relief. You know, mummy's feeling awful. Oh, I thought she was. (laughs) No, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, That's very confusing for a child. Um, Emotions aren't dangerous. I think secrets can be. And I think making things complicated can be. And um, pretending things are okay when they aren't yeah. can be really dangerous. Yeah. Because I think children can sense, they, they can sense things. So when you're saying, it's all absolutely fine, darling, do not worry. Yes. And they can see how tense you are, you know, if there's something sort of in the air, then it's, it's such a mixed message, I would, I would yes. imagine. Yes. And to then try and figure out, you know, what yeah. does it really mean? And I, I can't sort of cope with trying to work this out because I'm a child and I just yes. thought you said you were fine, but you don't seem to be. Absolutely. And I think... <laughs> I think as parents, we have this idea that our job is to make our children happy. And I think what actually our job is, is to help our children deal with all their feelings and realise that sometimes we'll be happy, sometimes we'll be sad, sometimes we'll be angry, jealous, uh, all these different feelings. And that's part of being human. And if we give the message that emotions are what it is to be human. It's okay to have these feelings, but it's what we do with them. And it's whether we can accompany our children to manage them. That will help set them up in life um, with all that life brings, all the challenges and all the exciting things that happen. Yeah, because if we've only ever made them happy, then they're not going to understand how to deal with the feelings of jealousy or anger or frustration. That they will, It's an inevitability because the world is not always a nice place. No. I often think that... Um, you know, as parents, we could all do with a lesson, a really good lesson in communication. I just think, you know, as relationships go, you know, if we can communicate well with someone, she's agreeing, Hope, is yes, totally agreeing is. with she's me. She's joining in. She looks so cosy and comfy in your arms, Amelia. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it is. It's that communication is key to every every relationship. Mm. Um, mm. So, obviously, in a few weeks, it is uh, Baby Communication Week, which is an initiative um, started by the Brazelton Foundation. Yes. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So it's the last week of June our first ever Baby Communication Week. And it's really to raise awareness that babies communicate and um, just that we might think about that and find out more about how our babies communicate and share that with friends and family. Um, the Brazilian UK Centre has been going about 22 years, but it's been going a long time because of this wonderful man called Barry Brazelton from Boston in the States, who was a paediatrician. And he had a real empathy and warmth towards the children and families in his care. And so a lot of what we're talking about today comes within the tradition from him and from other great figures in terms of learning and finding out and being, being sensitive to what our babies are telling us. So how, how, what do we do in terms of participating in Baby Communication Week? Is it sort of on social media? What? Yes, and also if you look at the website, um, which is www.brazelton, which is spelled B-R-A-Z-E-L-T-O-N, .co.uk, yeah. I think. Otherwise, right? just, I think uh, one. otherwise, just Google um, Brazelton. Otherwise, Google Brazelton UK. Yeah. And um, you'll find some great stuff for parents on there. And if you might be a practitioner who is interested in training in these uh, tools, please have a look um, because they're terribly helpful in your practice as well in terms of and, understanding And when you say babies. practitioner, this is GPs, nurses, midwives, maternity nurses, that Health sort of visitors, thing. Health visitors, doulas, occupational therapists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, psychologists, um, anyone who's working with mothers and babies um, could find this really useful. And in fact, you may find there's someone in your area who could do this with you with your baby if you're interested um so that's also another option fantastic um well i have absolutely loved our chat today um as always you're a wealth of wisdom you always make me sort of sit and reconsider what is really important yeah. when it comes to our relationship with our children so thank you so much thank you so much marina and thank you to baby hope who is now sleeping calmly yeah. Either she was soothed by a conversation or she was sort of bored by it. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, and, Amelia. and it's really great to have the chance to raise this in people's awareness. I think the more I work and learn, the more I think parents need to be empowered with information to make parenting more interesting and fun. And we want the information, you know. Like, this has just been so informative for me and it makes complete sense what you're saying. But, you know, if I, if I hadn't spoken to her, I might, I might not realise, you know, there are other things that I can do to communicate with Hope and I have been at these little moments. So thank you. Thank you all. And thank you all for listening to another episode of The Parenthood, the first where a guest has been an actual baby. I can't believe it's taken us this long. <laughs> Please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. And for more information about what I'm recording, do follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogel. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening. And from Catherine, Amelia, Baby Hope and me, goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.